passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Rewind the dynamite from the most wrestling site. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting here to discuss Dynamite from Wednesday night at the Trust Arena in Chicago, Illinois, on the eve of Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's right, John. How, how are you doing? Uh, tremendous. I'm all excited about Thanksgiving. All right. Okay, me too. Yes. Uh, excited for our American friends, of course. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And, uh... Uh... So what we're doing is, to celebrate Thanksgiving, we are having Friendsgiving on Thursday with two of our friends. Ah, you're right, yes. An in-person meeting between me, John Pollock, Braden Harrington, and Davey Portman is to take place tomorrow to celebrate American Thanksgiving by, um... Not having American Thanksgiving food. Uh, no, maybe that maybe that will be on the menu. You never know. Yeah, maybe. Whatever. It's always a good excuse. It's it'll be our first time in the brand new BDE. I'm excited for that. Oh, that's right. We've ne- we've never been there. Never. Never. Well, maybe we'll be invited over. Maybe not. Maybe they'll be like, no, it's okay. This is maybe the, we'll the visit have ends. Te- maybe we'll have a terrible lunch and we'll just end up hating each other. We could. That's very possible. Definitely. Yeah. I don't even remember what they look like. I only listen. I don't watch. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay, well, we have a lot to talk about from a pretty pretty loaded edition of Dynamite that started off with, I was trying to think about this way, because the only comparison I can think of in the history of Dynamite, where they started off with this lengthy promo segment, I remember one of the early Dynamites, when the inner circle first formed, and they came out for a big promo segment, but that might not have even kicked off the show. I cannot remember. But this has to be the first time they've ever started with like a 20-minute talking segment. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. I mean, I, I feel like it's not, you know, that unusual that we might have seen something like this. But, you know, I, I'm terrible with, with my recall with some of this stuff. Not for Dynamite. I mean, this is 
I I would have to imagine. How about when Punk came debuted? When Punk came on Rampage. Rampage, that would have been the uh, the exception to the rule. Yes, so maybe maybe Punk in Chicago breaks the the AEW rules. Yeah, uh, and the common denominator is CM Punk. You know, this was a segment that I did not expect to take place on this show. It was not something they promoted. They promoted QT Marshall versus CM Punk. And that's what I think, uh, you know, you and I were debating uh, on our post news update today um, on YouTube.com slash post wrestling. Subscribe, everybody. We're doing those live, by the way, everybody, starting at one o'clock every day. So catch us there live. And if you're a patron, you get that in audio form. Some plugs out of the way there. But you and I were debating, you know, what they would show the start off, uh, start the show off with tonight. And I think we had agreed Punk versus Cabana was probably our guess. Simply because no, 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 we were not guessing Punk versus Cabana would. Uh, would oh start shit! The show. Never mind. <laughs> that's that's uh that's maybe uh five years down the line, perhaps. Uh, Danielson versus Cabana, um, because you know it felt like the biggest thing on this show. Coming out of this show, um, I you, you couldn't to... have ended. You couldn't have ended with this, so I understood why you started with this. Nor do I think that Punk QT match would have really fit in the the main event like watching it it was just the yeah. idea of uh, i honestly of the matches I, I was not looking at that eight man to close the show but it probably made as much sense as anything point is cabana versus danielson was the biggest thing on paper heading into dynamite right but on their rundown and in their plans they clearly had something much bigger to start the show off with and it was a promo battle between mjf and cm punk which I think is as valuable as the match. I would have paid pay-per-view money to see tonight's showdown. Punk and MJF talk. Yeah. What a concept. What a concept. Just it draws. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I guess Punk second best at something else this week as well. That That is right. As John alluded to, volume three of talk released at postwrestlingcafe.com. You just throw them to me and I, I'll, I'll be the sellout, John. Yeah. Uh, a lot of compliments about me and Way speaking together in person, making eye contact. Uh, I I say great reaction because I think I only hear from the people that that enjoy things. I think Way probably gets the DMs about, all right, what what's up with this guy? What what is it about this guy? I you know I'll I'll I'll, I'll it's confidential. So yeah, if you have your complaints about John Pollock, send them to me. But. No, uh, thank you for all the kind words, of course. And as revealed on that show, Black Friday sale coming up at store.postwrestling.com. See, I got to fit another one in there. On Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, 20% off all items at store.postwrestling.com with the promo code. I can't remember what we settled on. Eggs. Eggs. Okay. Plural. Eggs. That is correct. Yes, starting Friday. Yes. So go to the store and put all your eggs into one basket and uh, <laughs> check out with our Black Friday sale. Uh, that is good until one way? Monday. Monday. Okay. Monday evening, the end of Raw. Yeah, where you could get a post-wrestling hat. And if you buy a post-wrestling hat, you're pretty much guaranteed front row ringside seats <laughs> facing the hard cam. So that's what that hat is going to open the door to you uh, ticket-wise. Uh, that and also if you happen to be um, working at Pro Wrestling Tees and if your ha- name happens to be Scrump. Um, so, yes, that is right. Thank you for the representation, Scrump. And also Jake, Jake from the Windy City showing up in some post gear tonight. Well, there's a massive reaction for Punk coming out. 
and he is cut off by MJF. And he walks out, and the crowd is immediately chanting, asshole. And this is mixed with punk chants as they stand across the ring. This is like uh, two gunslingers about to go at it as they stare their prey from across the ring. And MJF starts out referring to him as Punky Brewster and said that you hurt my feelings when you didn't shake my hand last week. The boos are enormous here. And said it was almost as bad as when you took your ball and went home like a little bitch. He brings up the pipe bomb, calling it the best moment. But every MJF moment is the best MJF moment. I'm not just a one-trick pony. I respect you, punk. I respect that you're straight edge, even though you look like a meth addict. And if I had your face, I'd have to down eight shots of whiskey just to look at myself in the mirror. And he brings up Punk's interviews, these famous press interviews that Punk did uh, during the... uh, beginning stages of AEW, and the names that he listed off that he wanted to work with, never mentioning MJF. They're and getting he, a whole lot of mileage out of these like uh, pre like early punk interviews. This was the best media tour AEW ever set one of their talents on for promo material and said that you never named me because you didn't want any. Punk, you on the microphone, it's like a big fish in a small pond, but now you're a minnow, and I'm about to finish you verbally Faster than your UFC career, which got a big zing. But when you actually think about it, from the moment his signing was announced to his last fight, it was actually a very long time that he ended up being in the UFC. It was years. Uh, uh, Sure. Okay, fine. It was two fights spread out over lots of training, injuries, first fight, big gap, second fight, and then just kind of... um, no one knew what his future was going to be. So it's not like it was like uh, uh, just a here he was there for like one fight for for a cup of coffee. I mean, he was actually there for a long time. It just was spread out and very slow. I mean, in, in terms of in-ring content, I think we saw less of CM Punk in the octagon than we did of the Queen's crown. You could fit. Uh, no, that's Punk. you know what? It might be true because he got first. He got finished in the first round with Mickey Gall, but he went the full three with Mike Jackson in that pretty terrible fight in Chicago. All right. Okay, so he did well. get a full 15 in for one of them. And the UFC career line gets a big reaction. They cut to Scrump for his reaction. And he was uh, he was looking fairly stoic here. And MJF says, you might drop bombs, but I drop nukes. And Punk goes and he grabs a microphone. He is so disappointed in MJF. Thanks him for introducing him because up until last week, I didn't know your name was Maxwell. All this time, I thought it stood for my jealous fan. He never brought his name up by design to feed MJF's ego. I'm already in your head because you have a poster of me on your wall. Last week, I shut up the great MJF without even saying a word, and you had seven days to think about what you would come at me with, and you went with the lowest hanging fruit when all you are is a less famous Miz. So, so when this thing started, I mean, it was very much, it was very much, I think MJF coming out with some very strong material. You know, everybody knows the sore spot that Punk has with him forever now being that UFC career. And Punk had to come back, I would say pretty hard, you know, harder than I think he has for a lot of people in his earlier promos that we've seen at AEW. And it wasn't 
like for the most part of Punk's response, I was like, yeah, I think I got MJF in this round. And then he hit him with the Miz line, which just turned this whole thing around. And after that line, now we have a fight. You know, this is the moment in 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 the in the in the match where it's like one person kind of dominates, and then the other person take gets like a last minute knockdown in the round, and now we have a fight. And I think Punk took this one simply with that line. He MJF then responds, and the crowd is chanting Miz. This was just uh, this was amazing, and. He says that nostalgia is a drug that causes us to misconstrue our memories and admits, I was a fan of you, punk. You were the best, or so I thought. But you struggled to beat the easiest of of competition here or to say anything of intrigue. Your breath smells like shit from kissing so much ass. And then he went into this robotic impression of punk to indicate how soft he's gone. Um, how, how, How generic his promos have been. Yes, yes. Punk's hair is going gray, and based on your eyes, if anyone needs to go to sleep, it's you. You've become PG, Punk. What happened to the guy I grew up on? You might as well be preaching hustle, loyalty, and respect. And that got a big reaction as well. All the WWE references got big reactions from this crowd. But I can see you, and I can also see through you, You only came here for a boatload of money after staying home for seven years, writing comics that people didn't read and being in movies no one watched. Or were you at home all this time because you were scared that you couldn't hang? People idolized you because they felt that you were held down. Now you have the opportunity to prove everybody right, but can you? And he knows that Punk envies MJF. He's every promoter's dream and runs down Punk's upbringing and insults Chicago. Deep down, Punk has always been second best. Whether it be Cena, Hunter, he was not up to snuff. And it's no different here. I'm better than you, and you know it. And that was MJF's uh, ending speech here before Punk would get his closing argument. He was great. Um he definitely escalated from his attack in the first round. You know, this time he was breaking Punk down very methodically. It took a while for him to get there. You know, like it was, it, he definitely had more time to, 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 to you know, lay, lay down his attack. But I'll say this on that point, Way Like there was a point in this where, I mean, it was captivating. And I think that that overrides all of it. But it was some of that, that we, we, we get sometimes that we complain about in WWE that it's like the guy is just eating all this for so long, just standing there. But this was almost like this came in. This almost was laid out like a rap battle where it's like, you're going to have your turn and I'm going to take your, and then it's going to be my turn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before there were rap battles, there were pro pro wrestling promo battles. If anything, rap battles are modeled after professional wrestling. This is what pro wrestling is supposed to be. You go, I go, you go, I go. And it keeps escalating until you want to see these two punch each other in the face. But MJF, you know, round two, I thought he told a great story. He questioned the confidence of one of the most confident dude, confident dudes in the history of this industry. And I thought he had some great ammunition. You know, you've been away for seven years. Um, you had plenty of things to complain about. You had you had a lot of strength when you had you know something somebody to rebel against, but. Now you have the opportunity to prove that you are number one. And can you actually do it? Uh, it? It was great. It was far more cerebral than first round. 
So Punk says there is some truth in that. I was a bit scared coming back after seven years. I didn't know if people would remember or care about me or even if I still had it. But I'm not scared any longer. I was selling out Madison Square Garden when you were marking out for Rosie O'Donnell. You made the New York Times for your segment with Jericho. I'm going to put you back into the New York Times in the obituaries. You've enrolled in a college your parents can't afford, and you can't back up your words without Wardlow, Sean Spears, and FTR. I came to AEW for the heart and soul of this company, Darby Allen, and that eats you up. You talk about being the strongest of the four pillars when you don't even realize you've been replaced by Britt Baker. The reason they call Chicago the second city is because when it burned down, we just rebuilt ourselves, so I'm fine wearing number two. And the only way you'll ever be number one is if Tony Khan has a daughter that you marry and threatens to punch his needle dick right here in Chicago. An unbelievable segment. This was um, one of the best promo segments of the year, one of the best segments of TV this year, period. Um, we just saw like in, the in terms best... of match setup way, like Punk maybe one two this year with this and the Kingston segment. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to like break down a promo segment, the easy question at the end is, do you want to see the match and did the segment heighten it? This times ten. This 100%. was tremendous. Hundred percent. This is now the hottest feud in AEW, and that means it's probably the hottest feud in the wrestling industry right now. We just saw that the two best promo guys in the industry go toe-to-toe in a 20-minute unedited war on live television, and it was fucking spectacular. It lived up to every expectation. It exceeded expectations. This was 20 minutes that we just recapped. Yeah, I know. And it like, but, but at the end of it, like, I truly do question, like, you know, kayfabe aside, I do question, is CM Punk still the best? Is he still the best on the microphone this, this far removed? Does he still have like, you know, the capability to go head to head with somebody as sharp as like well um, oiled, I suppose, as like an MJF? And this absolutely proved that. Yes, he he did. Like this was like, you know, almost like a cliche. This was like, you know, they, that unstoppable young po- prospect rising up the ranks. And then here comes the 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 industry veteran coming back, signed a new contract, and the promoter wants to have the young prospect beat the veteran. But it's the veteran standing his ground telling him, "You're very good, but I'm still the best." Round 2, Punk came came back with like a ton of great fire. I mean, he what I loved about especially like, you know, the better part of like this segment was like, they didn't have to go work shoot at all. You know, like they dug deep, but they dug deep into the fictional character history of both men. Let's pull up my quarter hours, Max. Like at this point, that is so easy. The artistry is when you can stay within character to poke holes at, at, at the story punk MJF targeted punks, inner self-confidence called them number two and the way punk deflected the number two line i thought was perfection like it makes me wonder how much these two orchestrated together and who cares like yeah like you're you're creating great art you're scripting great art whether or not like like you're 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 both working in concert together here but i mean in this setting it's not an idea like we know for a fact they are not sitting down and writing out any of this stuff and it would be really interesting to know like what were kind of the bullet points each knew going in there and how much was 
you know, the, the line about being number two, was that something that was just in the moment tying it into Chicago being the second city. I thought that was brilliant, like uh way to play off of that line. Like it, it, it was, is brilliant either way, whether it was yeah, preconceived totally. with the both of them together in a room, writing it down, whatever, or if it was improvised either way, it's it only matters if it gets over like that. That's it. That's yeah. um, that's the whole point of pro wrestling is does it get over? And then like punk digging to MJF's inability to win without cheating. He didn't need a ring to beat Darby Allen. But my favorite line from Punk in this entire promo was calling Britt Baker the fourth pillar replacement for MJF. That was my favorite. It was such a great dig because it brings up something that's actually quite profound. Why hasn't Britt Baker been named, you know, as one of these founding pillars of AEW? Because she absolutely deserves to be. Well, she'll um, probably be named it now after after this this segment. And again, it ties back to that first Punk segment where he brought up Britt Baker. That was like the first thing out of his mouth when he walked into AEW. Puts Baker over huge. Puts Darby Island over huge at the same time. And then like even throwing in a needle dick nickname and they're perfectly setting up the chant. Like this was this was two grandmasters battling beat for beat. It was beautiful art. It was a great segment. The question is, how long can you hold this match off for? You know, uh, yeah, I was talking about it with with uh, with uh, some of the people in the chat room before we started here. But um, I mean, we do have the Wardlow match. We can even go to a Spears match. You know, and any uh, number of people for the Pinnacle. I I think this has enough legs that you can delay it to probably a January show, one of the the big shows in January. I mean, Long Island is 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 a big show. The the TBS debut is is another big one. Battle for the Belts doesn't necessarily need this. I mean, there's no championship on the line, so probably I would say one of those. You know, Revolution feels like it's too far away. That's what really long. If you're looking at the end of February, I just like this was the money segment. This was like the go home segment almost. I, I don't know how much more you can build upon this, um, or or that it needs uh, building on top of it. So that that will be interesting. The timing of when they pull the trigger on this match, and you're right, they do have. The bodies you can throw at Punk uh, to prolong the match. I would say, like Long Island, like geographically, that makes sense with MJF, but that's in two weeks. That seems very close. I, do, I think that would be a perfect spot for um, their second Provo battle. I mean, I don't know how you talk. Oh, this, this will be like a. It, it'll be like the federal election. They're going to do like debates. They'll do like three debates. Next, totally. it'll be a town hall meeting. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, Punk had hometown advantage today. You give MJF hometown advantage the next time. But that'll be interesting to see what the crowd reaction will be like because I feel like they'll be very pro-Punk even there. So this segment, as I mentioned, like it went 20 minutes or so, and then we come back, and QT Marshall is there in the ring, and we just go right into it. Uh, Nick Camarota. I have, I have and- never seen a crowd so deflated after, <laughs> like for the actual match after a talking segment. And that's not to say this match was bad. It was just because the prior thing was so good, you know, like it was amazing. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see like the, the Thanksgiving Eve dynamite. It's, it's been a tough week for them to draw in the last two years. And they started off, I think, as strong as you could uh, with punk in Chicago. And then you if you had tuned in at the beginning, which sometimes that's the big surge is at the beginning. And then you get an, an MJF segment. I think you're holding all those people for 20 plus minutes and maybe a little longer because Punk's matches do very well when he's put on free TV. Mm-hmm. So the match here with QT, it was built around a lot of body slams by Punk and QT selling the back and Punk really just playing them up quite a bit. 
Camaroto and Solo get ejected after Camaroto grabs CM Punk's leg from the floor. QT then runs back into the ring into another body slam and then does the flip bump in the corner off an Irish whip. They go through picture in picture as QT has the advantage. He's playing to the crowd for heat and calls Punk Grandpa in the ring and then gets hit with a head kick from Grandpa. The crowd rallies behind Punk. Jim Ross says this has not been the best night for Punk, blaming it on MJF rattling Punk. And he hits the running knee in the corner, Savage Elbow, and GTS for the win in 11 minutes and 7 seconds. So if you tuned in, you got almost 40 minutes of CM Punk to start Dynamite. It was Chicago, so, you know, I'm, arguably this is probably what Chicago paid for, and they they definitely got their money's worth. But um, I honestly, I don't have much to say about the match. Like, it was hard for me to even pay attention. I was buzzing off of the prior segment so much. Like, this felt like Christmas Day, where, like, the gift you opened first was the one that you've wanted all year. And so everything else you open afterwards was like, I mean, it's good, but you just can't wait to like, you know, like talk about the first one. Yeah, the match, I mean, it was, it was a serviceable match. I don't think anything anyone's going to be writing home about, but nonetheless, it was a uh, punk in Chicago. The crowd was into punk and you got a, a longer match than I was expecting between these two, especially after the lengthy promo segment. They went over. It was minutes. an excuse to put CM Punk on TV for 40 minutes. Shivani's with Christian jungle boy and Luchasaurus jungle boy brings up that he's beaten Bobby fish twice and they have a ton of momentum. This was a promo all about momentum and cage says that when you have momentum and you feel unbeatable, that good things happen. And he notes that Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus are the number one contenders for the tag titles. And they've been here before. But the difference is the momentum. And Christian is going to make sure that they win the tag titles this time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like Christian is definitely leading towards like, you know, being so overly friendly that you're starting to be suspicious of him. So I, I wonder if this is the start of something more. Uh, devious eddie kingston was in catering eating cake and he looks into the camera to give a message to john moxley when 2.0 and daniel garcia walk in and they bring up the players tribune article and they say that eddie you're happy now but you're not hungry anymore he says i want this cake (laughs) and (laughs) they keep going on they're like it's the kiss of death for a fighter and jeff parker says You weren't able to help Moxley. And this pisses off Kingston. He stands up and Daniel Garcia throws coffee in his face. And there's a huge pull apart uh, leading to the match on Friday between Kingston and Daniel Garcia. Yeah, for for like an AEW backstage segment, it felt a little contrived. Um, But whatever, it was fine. Just sets up a match on Rampage. This led to uh, John Ceno using the caption in his report. Coffee Kingston. Ah, bravo. Billy and Colton Gunn against Bear Country. We were going to slot this match in. So the guns jump them. Bear Country fights back. Boulder does a military press, and then Austin helps his dad on the floor, allowing Colton to run Boulder into the steps. Bronson gets tripped by Austin on the floor, leading to a Colt 45, and Colton pins Bronson in a minute 35. Just um, moves. Felt, felt like a dark match. Like a match yeah, I mean, this was elevation. here for the post-match angle. That's yep. the reason this was on the show. Darby's music plays. Sting comes out by himself. Austin runs up the ramp. 
And Darby Allen sprints out of the back for this nasty collision. Like, he took this dude's head off, I thought. I thought it was great. Strategically, oh strategically, it made a lot of sense. You know, they, you know the gun club has a three-on-two advantage, so what do you do? You wait for them to come to you, and then you shock them with surprise. Uh, it, 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 it was cool, and it was a pretty spectacular-looking spot. This looked violent as hell. Billy and Colton just bail from the ring, and Austin is just selling this, uh, this head-on collision from Darby as Sting and Darby occupy the ring. So uh, holding off on our, our showdown where we will get Sting and Billy Gunn in a ring in 2021, maybe. Maybe we'll have to hold it off till 2022. I, I sense this one for a winner is coming. You know, this feels like it's a good mid-tier match for a, a big edition of Dynamite, which is what one year after Sting's debut. Exactly. You know, Gun Club are obnoxious. You know, they're good mid-tier obnoxious heels. And I think your big dynamites are good places to grow acts like that while you save your marquee guys for pay-per-view or TNT specials coming up. They're going to be in Garland, Texas. Do you worry about the reaction for Sting? Why? Because they love guns in Texas. Oh, oh, wow. Excalibur confirms the Battle of the Belts will take place Saturday, January 8th in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Bojangles Coliseum that they drew very well in the last time they were there. And the graphic just featured all the champions. So I guess it is still uh, to be confirmed how long the show is going to be because it was initially reported it would be one hour. And we're going to see, like, obviously you are not going to have multiple title matches in a one hour time slot, but we will see if that ends up being the length of this show or not. But they did advertise this will be live on the Saturday night. So, folks, you get a New Japan Noah pay-per-view, an Impact pay-per-view, and a Battle of the Belt show all on the same day, January 8th. How many champs did they show? They showed Paige, they showed the Lucha Bros. All of them. All of, I think even, um, was Ricky Starks in the graphic too? He might have been. I don't remember. All the main champions were were there. Yeah, there's no way you would fit that in one hour. No, no. I would say, like, um, you could probably... I mean, we've seen what the one-hour format is on Rampage when you take into account commercials. Um, Anyway, we'll see. They did not say anything about how long it's going to be or anything like that. But tickets go on sale this week. Adam Cole's with Bobby Fish. Cole says the last two weeks have sucked. The Young Bucks are still not cleared. Cole says they're best friends with the Bucks. And then Taylor, Orange Cassidy, and Yuta enter, saying we are literally best friends. Cole asks, where's Trent? He bets Orange Cassidy is a horrible friend and doesn't think Yuta has any friends. And they argue over which set of friends are better friends. And this is going to lead to a match on Friday. I thought this segment was really lame. It was like sort of a goofy comedy segment. Um, You know... Probably could 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 have been a, had a bit more um, meat on sort of like a in terms of uh, content. It felt more like something that you would see on BTE rather than something that I think you know at this point on TV we've come to expect from Rampage. Although you did have Bobby Fish question the ridiculousness of Yuta's name, which I found pretty hilarious. Yes, yeah, he did have that line in there. Team Taz meets with Dante Martin, who's got Leo Rush looking over this contract. It's is overseen by Tony Schiavone. Taz doesn't know why Rush is here, and Rush says they don't want to be a part of this. But Dante stops Leo and signs the contract and leaves with Team Taz uh, as Rush is left there confused. As we all were. 
you know, there, there's been no indication that Dante was going to sign with uh, Team Taz prior to this, and we were all left pretty um, surprised, I would say, and I'm definitely interested. I'm very curious to see what happens here. I think this is a bit of a capture and release strategy from mm. uh, from Dante Martin here. It's an old Natasha play, John. Oh, okay. Well, you've got, you've intrigued, you've intrigued me. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, MCU later, Hawkeye coming out tomorrow night one more plug in there did it jamie hater versus thunder rosa in the tbs tournament winner takes on jade cargill in the semifinals this crowd was so hot for this match very much so like they were pretty hot the whole show but my god did they really get into this and this was just like this intense fight for the entire duration like it was not designed to be like your smooth pretty wrestling match this was just a fight between these two and this audience was so into it yeah, absolutely. And it helps that you have two women who can play up that style. Like, these two are not afraid to hit hard and be hit hard. And I thought they created a spectacular match. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Jamie Hayter. I think she's mm-hmm. improved greatly. Like, I, th- I think she's gotten very, very good. Um, the crowd is just all energetic. Rosa throws Hayter repeatedly into the rail. So, the first time they do this... Um, it's Thunder Rosa that gets knocked into the guardrail and there's this woman sitting in the front row that is clearly not ready for this level of interaction with a guardrail getting smashed in front of her. So she like jumps. So then it's Rosa that throws Hater repeatedly into the rail in the very same spot where this woman is. So th- this woman, you have never seen someone detest the fact that they are front row for a wrestling show than this. It's kind of like sitting front row in a comedy show, you know, like you're going to get hit. They go through picture in picture. They return the crowd loud dueling chance. There's a face buster off the top to Hater, followed by a missile drop kick and then a baseball slide drop kick to the midsection in the corner of Hater. She comes back with a backbreaker and Thunder Rosa applies a Peruvian necktie. Rebel distracts referee Rick Knox as Britt Baker comes up, breaks up the submission, and she goes for a super kick, missing Thunder Rosa and nailing Jamie Hayter. And as uh, Baker leaves the ring, Jamie Hayter is dazed. She goes for a spot but gets countered and is rolled up by Thunder Rosa. 10.38, and this audience exploded for the finish. It was uh, This crowd was just fantastic for this match. Yeah, really excellent match. And I think Chicago is a crowd. I mean, everybody loves Thunder Rosa, but I think Jamie Hayter is somebody who's a bit been a bit more understated as far as, you know, her push goes. But I think she's been on TV long enough for everybody to recognize her fantastic talent. And Chicago was certainly a crowd that was looking forward to this match. And these two absolutely delivered. Um, very smooth in the ring. And again, not afraid to hit hard. Yeah, uh, I thought in terms of story, it, it built nicely to baker rosa like baker has been talking for hater this entire time that is the ultimate destination and i thought they did a good job of getting there um and it also set up the post-match here with jamie hater that's right did, did, before we move on did you catch the line jim ross had about i think it was it was thunder rosa stating she does a lot of slapping and charity work Sla- oh okay there are two things that don't always go hand in hand together but those were mm. her attributes listed we don't know what sort of charity she's uh she's doing you you might slap for charity um certain charities jamie hater is very upset with Britt baker and storms off afterwards so um 
hinting at some dissension here between Baker and Jamie Hayter, which honestly, uh, I always saw this alliance as being one that, you know, in time you want to break Jamie Hayter off. I think Baker is fine just with Rebel and Hayter should not be part of this group forever, but we'll see if this is going to be some slow burn or if they'll accelerate it and go with uh, Jamie Hayter maybe sooner than than anticipated. Jamie's, Jamie Hayter's role within that faction, to me, always seemed, um, um, I, yeah, unnecessary, I would say. You know, like, um, she plays sort of like the, the muscle decently, but at this it's a, point... It's a short-term role in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's a way of introducing her to the to the product by associating her with, a, you know, one of its top acts. And she's, again, um, I think showcased herself enough to the audience now to the, that, to the point where the audience is ready to cheer for her. So I, I think they've done a good job. Backstage, Alex Marvez interviewed Chris Jericho, and he's about to speak when 2.0 and Daniel Garcia walk in, and Jericho tells them to go to the hardware store because Eddie Kingston is going to break into their homes tomorrow. All three of their homes. That's a lot of ground to cover on Thanksgiving, no less. It's a lot of work. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to get revenge on these guys. I'm going to break and enter, but not on Thanksgiving. I, like That's a weekend job. Yeah, it sounds like a Santa Claus. But as Jer- as Jericho's in the midst of ins- of of uh, responding to them, he is just lost in Matt Lee's forehead, and he just says that you've got a square head like SpongeBob, and he waits for the crowd to chant SpongeBob. They're in the back, mind you, and threatens to ram their teeth down their throat. And Jeff Parker just tells him, "Watch your mouth," and. Jericho turns around, wishes Marvez a happy Thanksgiving. And given that um, Jericho is starting like a two-week tour of Fozzie on Monday, I could see um, Jericho not having a great Thanksgiving on on Friday's Rampage. Um, Probably not. Yeah. They should probably, they should probably just... Uh, maybe, maybe Garcia loses to Kingston, and then he annihilates Chris Jericho, and that explains his absence for a few weeks. That would be interesting. Just just a note on Squarehead, and this comes to us from uh, Kate in Montreal, who's in the chat room right now. Hello, Kate. Squarehead apparently is like an old Quebecois insult for um, Anglophones. Tete carré. Oh. So I wonder if, if uh, that was what Jericho got it from. Uh, I'm sh- I'm sure that he was uh, he was directing it at the at the Canadians here and uh, went that direction. So Kate says you- specifically Anglophones who don't speak English. Ah, I see. Okay, so they're just anglophone by, uh, I guess, uh, birth? I guess so. I'm very confused. Um, we go to friends, Friendsgiving in I the think, back. I think, I think it's more... So I'm, I'm looking at Urban Dictionary. It says, okay, it means... A French language slur used against anglophones in Quebec. It means squarehead used particularly, particularly often against anglophones who know little French. Commonly used in Eastern Montreal, where individuals may be perceived as anti-French. Okay, so there you go. Uh, the Friendsgiving segment was in the back, where Tony, Rebel, and Baker were all seated at a table uh, with a, a turkey that did not look all that appealing. Ba- Baker is thankful that she could give Rebel and Tony the best Thanksgiving dinner that they've ever had. And then Tony has some bad news. He... Throws up footage from the Casino Battle Royale in September when Rio was never officially eliminated, and thus a match has been made, a Black Friday deal match for Friday, 
where if Rio can beat Baker, she will get a future title shot. And Baker is pissed. She tells Shivani that he's ruined Thanksgiving and is not invited to Christmas. Mm-hmm. So two holidays gone. You know, I had totally forgotten about this Rio thing, but uh, you know, any mistake is an opportunity for a future storyline. Uh, I think it's good justification for this match. And I like that they didn't go overboard with just granting her a title shot because of it. You know, it keeps it realistic. You only get a match to get a potential title shot. Well, yeah. I mean, that would be a major hole in the... Uh, you could just, like, roll out of the ring in in a battle royal and you get the same prize the winner gets. Well, yeah. I think I, I think it's worth mentioning just because um, you can have title contenders matches that amount to nothing or title matches that pop up from out of nowhere without any sort of reason. Cole Cabana, Brian Danielson. Danielson starts off the match with these, these heavy kicks. He is just destroying the legs of Cabana and drops him after a series of them. The audience is chanting for Colt. Danielson misses with a running drop kick in the corner, and this gives Cabana his opening he misses with the flying apple and is hit with a released German and the crowd boos this. Danielson gets knocked off the top and Cabana hits a moonsault for his one big near fall in the match. Cabana holds on to the, the wrist as he's delivering elbows, but then gets swept. And with Danielson having wrist control, stomps down on Cabana's head. He flexes and applies the label lock. Cabana submits, but Danielson will not release the hold. Finally, he does. Five minutes, nine seconds, uh, Danielson wins. I thought this was going to be a bit more drawn out than, than five minutes, but it was uh, accomplished what they needed. They gave uh, an inkling of hope for the Cabana contingent in this arena, and then Danielson stopped him and submitted him. Yeah, again, our expectations going in was that this was probably the most high-profile match on the show. I think seeing what ultimately the show ended up having I think it had its rightful place on the show because the opening segment was tremendous, tremendous, and the main event was tremendous. And this was somewhere in, you know, beneath both of those things, but it was exactly what it needed to be. You know, you give your hometown babyface enough shine here to look like a hero for a brief moment, and then you get back to business by transferring all of that heat over to Brian. This is, it's funny because this is the Vince playbook, you know, um, having your hometown hero lose. But in this case, it doesn't feel cliche or disappointing because it is done for a main event program. Colt is not the project. Brian Danielson is the de- destination. And the match was satisfying enough. You know, it's kind of sad that, like, you know, Colt's been kind of overshadowed by Punk's arrival, even, like, in the shows that they've done in the Chicago area. Uh, so it was nice to see him get this. And I thought Brian played a fantastic dick throughout the match. Um. Do do you look back at everything like do you see this as what they would have been doing with John Moxley if if he had been uh, if he didn't have mm. to go away? I think it's very likely, yeah. I mean, in that tournament, you know, the person they were putting the most character behind felt like it was Moxley. Now, unless it was like Moxley losing the match and then having to transfer into some some other program, that's always possible. Like it you know, but a heel Moxley continuing into this storyline, killing members of the Dark Order, I I think would have made a lot of sense. Because they yeah. seemed to start with it, where he was going through the be- like destroying Yuta, beating Orange Cassidy, like beating these fan favorites, and but it's, it's almost more interesting seeing Brian do it. 
I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know if this would have had the same. Uh, well, it, it's hard to say. I think, good. I, I think Moxley would have been really fresh in this role too, mm-hmm. but it's just the fact that it is Danielson and it's not that far of a departure from Danielson. Like this has not been some rapid change to his character either, which is, is kind of whole, the whole basis of this that he is bringing up. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get a bit more uh, character build in the next segment. Shivani goes to the ring to speak with Danielson, who grabs the microphone and says, when I debuted in Chicago, I got a much better response than this. Is it me or is it you? I have one word to describe it. Fickle. And I'm not fickle. He said he would kick Cabana's head in while I also kicked his teeth in. And it looks like we're in Atlanta next week and there's several Dark Order members from Atlanta. So I would like to meet any of them and all of this is going to lead to the ultimate head kicking against Hangman Page. I I like Brian more in this role because it's just fun to see him try to transition to being a hated heel in all of these hometowns while still maintaining much of the character that he had come into this with. You know, he he has firmly transitioned to being a heel in these towns while still I think staying pretty true to the character that he was when he showed up here. He, it, this is like a breakup where like he's broken up with us or we've, or, or is it we've broken up with them? Either way, we've broken up. Okay. But no, he he's that, arguing we were never dating. It <laughs> could be that too. But, <laughs> but the, the point of the disagreement is that he thinks that we're the bad guys. He's turning our disagreement into an issue of perspective where he still sees himself as the good guy who just now happens to be surrounded by bad people. I find that so fascinating, and it takes somebody with the skill level of Brian to be able to navigate that. I can understand why, like, some may feel, you know, he's shifted a bit too much too soon. Because, like, there were moments, like, you know, in this match where I felt like he was getting to be a bit too much kind of, like, mustache twirling. But I, I think the motivation makes sense. And and mostly, I find the performance incredibly entertaining. He he did the stuff with t- the teeth here. What do you think? Like, do you think these teeth were, were actually legitimately knocked out, or, or were they planted there? I, I to be honest, I, I didn't even look back and no, notice the teeth thing beyond beyond the line. Was it was it actually? Can you just describe they, what it they, was? They they zoomed into the teeth like during the commercial break and picture and picture, and of course Brian presented it to the audience with a great line. Oh, talking about um, you know he he not only he promised to to kick his head in, and then he ended up knocking his teeth out. Uh, he said it in style, and it, it, like I don't doubt that it was very legitimate. Um, but he managed to play it up. I mean, he, these teeth might as well have been gold. Like he, he was able to use it wonderfully in this promo. Well, as he mentions, hangman page page comes out uh, to a big reaction and says that this city and this building hold a special place in my heart. And maybe we should just have the title match right now. And Danielson, of course you'd say that right after I wrestled a match. That's not cowboy shit. That's coward shit. Page says, I'm not leaving without a fight, and I, I'll even offer you the first shot. Danielson tells him not to insult him like that, slaps Page, and they go at it with strikes. And as Page sets up for the buckshot lariat, Danielson rolls out, and this audience was just livid at Danielson. I love this. Uh, <laughs> calling Paige the coward, and then he rolls out, and this crowd was just furious with them. I love it. It was really good. It was really good. I I sense this for Battle of the Belt. I could certainly see it. Um, 
as well for for January the eighth. I think they it, it's it's very interesting. Like I I look at it and it's just uh, the timing of it all. Like I I don't know if like the the TBS start should maybe be the bigger priority, but they also have these specials that I just uh, having them so close together. I mean, obviously, I'm sure they have a plan for what they're going to do within that span, but they're doing that's three shows in four nights. Yeah, it's, it, it is a lot. But thankfully, like they have a lot of really hot programs right now. You know, like last week, I, I think we're all really buzzing off of like Paige and Brian and, you know, the great job that they did. But this week, it's it's all about MJF and Punk. So they, they've got like two really hot programs for them to spread out. So this was a this is a great segment, especially the post match stuff with uh, Danielson and Page. And this one, I have no concern about them holding it off for a while. I think they can really let this one breathe. And you've got uh, Atlanta next week, Long Island after that for either Silver or Reynolds, and and then I guess you you go into like the the hard push for the Page match when you have a date for it. So Friday night, um, Eddie Kingston and Daniel Garcia, Britt Baker against Riho and Adam Cole and Bobby Fish against Orange Cassidy and Wheeler Yuta. Next Wednesday in Atlanta, Ruby Soho against Chris Statlander in the TBS tournament. And Tony Khan will announce more matches on Rampage. So they're pushing you towards Rampage to find out the matches for next week. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's a good strategy. I mean, no point in like we we, we only have we can only retain so much, right? Yeah, I think they they figure maybe just um, the match announcements that in and of itself is like an add-on to tune into Rampage and sending give, giving people whatever reasons to make sure you watch Rampage on Friday. Statlander and Soho, there was a quick video piece here where Ruby said that Statlander was at the top of her list of people to face in AEW. Statlander says that she's going to beat Soho, become the first champion, and they promote this as a dream match for next Wednesday. I don't know if it's really a dream match, but I don't fault them for pushing it that way. I certainly am paying a bit more attention to it because somebody might consider it a dream match. And I've been really pleased with like the amount of promo they've been giving. This This is the one they've put them. They have put video features on every week. Like this has been the most promoted match of the tournament. Mm -hmm. So a lot of expectations for these two, and they'll probably get a lot of time. And the main event, Cody Rhodes, the Lucha Brothers, and Pac versus FTR, Andrade El Idolo, and Malachi Black with many, many people in the corners that would get involved uh, to varying degrees. JR brought up a really interesting point where um, he asked, like, what reaction Cody will receive in Georgia next week. Yeah, that will be interesting because in this one, like the early going, Cody is using his weightlifting belt and he throws it into the crowd. And the crowd is like egging on the person that got it. And the fan ends up throwing it back. And this crowd just lost their minds. They were so happy that he threw this belt back. And then Andrade takes the weightlifting belt and throws it underneath the ring. Somehow, moment like minutes later, it ends up back on the apron. And Cody just puts the belt back on. And then he threw it back into the crowd again later on. That's right. He did the spot later and, and yeah. th- threw it again. So... Uh, that that's going to become a spot now. Anytime he throws the belt, it's going to be throwing it back into the ring. Oh, you know, there's going to be some asshole fan who's going to keep it, you know, just because they maybe the maybe the fan kept it. But this was wonderful. I mean, of, of course, this is the John Cena thing, you know, um, and it, I, to me, it was like, I don't know if Cody like it either tells us that like Cody had to have 
know that it was going to happen, right? And if he is, like, I think he is, he truly knows his audience, you know, if he did this and then, like, expecting this. Because I thought this was, like, just a, a wonderful spot that perfectly visually captures the current state of where the Cody Rhodes character is right now. He's somebody who thinks the audience loves him, yet is completely delusional about it, and the audience actually hates him. Uh, he he was wonderful in this match. I thought he played that character fantastically. Cody is in, and they're beating him down four-on-one in the corner. The audience loves it, and then he quickly tags out to Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix was outstanding in this match. I thought him and Pac were really the, the standouts uh, of the match. Uh, Phoenix scaled the ropes, holding on to Black's hand, and then came off with a head scissors to Andrade. Black then lights him up in the corner with strikes. Come back through the break where they destroyed Phoenix. Cash is ripping at the mask. Cash Wheeler goes for a 619 and misses Phoenix. I love that spot. <laughs> Cash Wheeler went for a 619. And then uh, it's Phoenix doing the, the Tiger faint kick and s- into a spinning wheel kick on Cash. Uh, Casadora attempt to Andrade by Penta. And then he rolls off into a double DDT to FTR. Pack is in. Fosbury flop. Penta hits Cash with Made in Japan. Dax lays him out with the pile driver. It's just boom, boom, boom. Everyone is in, hitting their their big moves. And then there's a twisting slam by Cody. This is where he tosses the belt again and goes for a super kick, misses, and hits Pack. So him and Britt Baker, um, 0 for 2 on their aim tonight. I love that. I mean, like we see these spots all the time in these multi-man matches. Everybody spills in with their signature moves. Everybody looks so damn cool. FTR looked amazing. Uh, uh, Phoenix, of course, looked amazing. Penta looked amazing. Black looked amazing. And then here comes Cody to to fuck it all up. You know, it was great. It was the perfect, perfect spot for this character. Everyone is down after Pac hits this beautiful belly-to-belly, sending Andrade into the corner. So with everyone out, Arn and Tully get onto the apron. And my God, they got the biggest reaction of anybody. And they get into the ring. This crowd is going wild. And then Jose, the translator, uh, walks into the ring. And they both deck Jose. And Abrahantis takes out Jose into the crowd. And FTR come in to smooth things over. And Arn and Tully do not come to blows. The Lucha Brothers hit dives onto FTR. Pac gets uh, hit with the Black Mist. And then uh, is hit with El Idolo as... Malachi hits Cody with a black mask to the midsection on the apron and Andrade pins pack as they win the match. It was a magnificent main event. This match went crazy and it was incredibly good. Every single person brought it here. I thought everybody was highlighted. Even Arn and Tully had their big spot. Um, in terms of in-ring action, I, I, I mean, Phoenix and Penta are just, are just incredible. And when you throw in their chemistry with Pac, with Andrade, with Malachi Black, it really, they each bring the best out of everybody. But I have to say, like, the person that captured my attention the most in this match was Cody Rhodes and this incredibly interesting way of his, his way of basically replicating, you know, the John Cena thing of balancing and, and getting such incredible reactions without having to lift a finger. Um, I think he's like really understanding what he needs to be right now. And I'm very curious to see how Georgia um, um, uh, reacts to him. And I'm really curious to see ultimately where this is ending up. Yeah, there's a lot of um, different different ways all these characters are going. And yeah, that will be very intriguing next week with Cody. Uh, the match went 16 minutes and 12 seconds. So got a lot of time. Really fantastic eight man. And 
the show ended like with the heels standing tall and Jim Ross wished everyone a wonderful Thanksgiving. And then his line at the end was, I'll see you all in the very near future. And I don't know if that mm. means anything, but I did catch that at the end. Of course, uh, you know, he's he's going through his his health issues uh, and just had an operation earlier this week. But I, I don't know if that means anything or or not. Very interesting. OK, of course, we, we wish all the best for Jr. Certainly. And that was Dynamite. Um, pretty, pretty enjoyable show. An amazing crowd. A big, big promo segment. Uh, I thought. I don't know how this show is going to do numbers wise uh, in the States, but I mean, it was a, it was a quality show. I thought this show was so good. Top to bottom. This show was great. And I wasn't really anticipating it. I have to say like, I mean, I know Chicago shows are always hot, you know, Brian versus Colt, I think was going to be a hot match, but otherwise on paper, I wasn't really like that excited about it. And then we had that MJF punk segment. And to me, it just like, it already elevated my, you see, you hear the energy in my voice. Like it's like I'm, I'm when I. It's rare that I watch wrestling these days and I get on such a high. But that's what the show did. And then you had you know a great Punk versus Colt match. You had a great Jamie Hader versus Thunder Rosa match, and then a fantastic main event between those eight men. So a really great addition of Dynamite in my eyes. Yeah, excellent show. Let's go to the feedback and get your response to the show. We're going to start off with Brian from New Jersey who writes. Quite the show with another great crowd. The first hour seemed to be more about promos and moments. Opening segment was more akin to how Raw would normally start, but I thought both Punk and MJF were great here. I feel Dynamite's calling card has remained strong wrestling, and that's what I felt we got in the second hour. Wild main event, and I thought it was hilarious how the crowd healed on Cody. Andrade looked pissed about that weight belt taking the focus away from the match. If Jamie Hayter really does split from Baker and Rebel, I hope she doesn't get lost in the shuffle because I think she's very good and had a strong match with Thunder Rosa. One last highlight from tonight, Danhausen tweeting his mailing address to Brian Danielson for him to send Colt Cabana's tooth. All right. Wow, interesting. Maybe well, uh Well, they know a dentist back there, so maybe we'll have a look at it first. That's true. Uh I'm going to skip Brandon and then go to MJ. Don't worry, Brandon, we'll get to you later. MJ says, "I'll be brief. After Omega and Brian live at Arthur Ashe, I turned to Brandon Harrington and said, "I need to go for a walk." And did just that. After CM Punk and MJF tonight, I too needed to go for a walk. Wow. Meltzer better, better give this promo battle five stars because it was better than the Super Click versus Jurassic Express match. Very rare something so so fantasized about can blow away expectations, but this one did. Zing of the battle for me was MJF being called a less famous Miz. It's the kind of tag that if MJF never amounts to more famous than Miz, will get stickier, stickier and stickier. Baker is a pillar. The rest of the show was awesome. Very, very special for Colt and Brian getting this match together when you consider their history. Life is wild sometimes. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, we go to Kate next. I suspect that the opening segment of tonight's show is going to be used in wrestling schools to show what performers should aspire to when cutting promos. There were a lot of expectations for the first Punk MJF showdown, and they just killed it. I was happy for the QT match right after because I needed a moment to decompress. Loved Rosa. I love that in 2021, a CM Punk match is like your your decompression yeah. moment of the show. But it, I mean, it was it, that is kind of what it was treated like for for the people. And one other thing I'm going to add about the promo that I really liked, like, yes, it was like taking shots at one another, but there were also like begrudging respect that each had of like building the other up before they teared them down and mm-hmm. was like utilizing that as well. Like both are 
acknowledging, whether it be past or present, acknowledgement of their talents as well. That I like that that was kind of baked into those promos as well. Kate goes on to say she loved Thunder Rose and Jamie Hayter. They have really good chemistry, but I hope they don't break Jamie off from Brit's crew just yet. I think they're going to need heels since I suspect we're going to have a babyface champion in Ruby Soho. While I want to be clear that I don't want to see Tully and Arn have a match, I absolutely love the showdown in the ring. It was the perfect element to the insanity of the main event. Loads of fun, and the two hours just flew by. Hope Colt is okay. At least he is able to see a dentist quickly. Oh, sorry. I stole your joke there, Kate. Um, let's go to Rory, who says, Great show as always. Punk and MGF could have spent the entire two hours going back and forth. It was tremendous. Also, did I see Mr. Ting on a t-shirt in the front row? Uh, I don't know. I did not uh, notice if, if that was the case. Question, will there be ad-free versions of the podcast for Patreon subscribers once the ads start in December? Keep up the great work, guys. Yeah, so we announced on Talk that starting next week, and I, I actually wanted to have a proper conversation about this on Monday with the free audience, so I might save this for, for then, Rory. But uh, the answer, we'll, we'll get to that answer maybe on Monday. Uh, last one here is from Muggin who says that MJF could talk circles around the majority of the roster until he ran into CM Punk. Their promo segment was tremendous. Jamie Hader and Thunder Rosa had a strong outing, and it hit two birds with one stone. It furthered the Rosa-Baker feud, and it caused a rift between Jamie Hader and Britt Baker going forward. Danielson and Cabana was what it needed to be, a hometown beating to add heat to Brian and Hangman at possibly Battle of the Belts. A strong show. We got one more here from Brandon from New Jersey, who says, Good evening, blokes. Long time no see. How are you? Waving to you in the Zoom room as you read my sonnet of love. What a show tonight, man. That promo between MJF and Punk was probably one of the best segments I've seen in the past decade. It's only the beginning between the two, but how deep in the well can MJF go? It's an interesting psychology battle that I'm sure both have, you both have talked about. Yes, we did talk about it. What Do you think gar- he talks into his phone like, uh, to... To translate this, do you, do you think he like I don't think his phone writes it, or is this like voice like uses a voice app? I don't think his voice would, his phone would understand him. Okay, um, back to the sonnet of love. What guardrails and limitations do you think Punk put on MJF, or do you think it's all gas and no break to get this over, especially with the big Long Island show coming up? Uh what guardrails and limitations do you think Punk put on MJF? Or do you think it's all gas and no brick to get this over? Okay. So he's saying, what? What uh, will they be uh, limiting themselves? Will they be holding back until the uh, big Long Island show? Uh, I, I don't know what we're... I don't even know what that means, dude. He says, I'm rambling. Go out and let, let's get this program over. Like, let's... Uh, the idea is to convey conflict between us. So yeah, uh, I, I'm sure they're not... Okay, so a few meanderings, and then we're going to get out of here. But he says, what the week Andrade was having in his personal life was him dropping his doctor's Yankee-inspired khakis a signal of his newfound independence. No clue what you're talking about. I mean, I think you're alluding to, like, um, some maybe rumors of, like, stuff going on between him and Charlotte, but I I can't speculate on that. We can't tell much from social I think it's really foolish to look into that stuff. It's no one's business, to be honest, and it's just, like, it's... You can't assume. And you can certainly be reading way too much into things. And it's not none of my business. It's not my business either. Uh, He also says, John, you weren't here for this last year, but tonight is the evening before Thanksgiving. It's a big party night and also an anniversary for my family. It's the night that my sister started a line brawl at a local establishment because someone looked at her husband in a funny way. Myself and my brother Simon both said going was a bad idea. 
but my sister and my brother Roman convinced us to go. Anywho, we almost got arrested for being peacemakers. I threw a chair to distract ongoing brawlers coming at us. We escaped unscathed. So that's going to bring an end to the show. I want to wish all of our U.S. listeners and viewers a happy Thanksgiving. Way, uh, as always, it's been a pleasure. Yes, yes, it has. What's coming up tomorrow? Tomorrow, 1 o'clock, youtube.com slash postwrestling. John and I will be broadcasting live, although we might also... Uh, be having lunch with Braden and Davey at, um, at the same time. So it, it's, it's our rampage edition of the post <laughs> daily news. It update. may or may not be taped and then scheduled to premiere live on YouTube, but it's not going to make a difference to you guys. One o'clock is when it premieres. And then if you're a post wrestling cafe patron, you get it in your audio right at one o'clock. Surprise, surprise. It'll uh, be a quick turnaround um, as well. And then in the evening, also in the Post Wrestling Cafe, WH Park and I return for MCU Later, where we will not just talk about one episode, but two episodes of Hawkeye that are now up at Disney+. Plus. So if you have watched the show and want to leave some feedback, and if you're a Post Wrestling Cafe patron, find the MCU Later thread at forum.postwrestling.com. We'll also give our thoughts on the Spider-Man trailer and really anything going on in the MCU right now. So tune in for that Thursday night. How long is it? You know, I wasn't really even paying attention to the time, but it felt like it was like, like what, 30 minutes each? Oh, okay. I think. If it's 30, like you're, you're, you're pulling me in at, at that time. It's, it's these ones John, that like 52 minutes. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, this series I, is, this series is. take the day off work to watch this episode? I mean, come uh, on. Seeing the first two episodes, I would say that this was, of all the Disney shows, this one might be made for you the most because it takes place around Christmas in New York City. Like it's. It, it, it's just it's just fun. Oh, I was wrong. 50 minutes each. 50 minutes each? Yeah, it's great. You That was even worse because you, you dangled a manageable uh, amount to me. 50 minutes. Oh, just don't check the time. Just watch. Maybe I'll watch like uh, two times the speed. Oh, whatever. That's how you consume art way. All right, check out MCU later on Thursday night. Looking forward to that. We will be... Um, broadcasting at 1 p.m. Eastern, youtube.com slash postwrestling, postwrestlingcafe.com, and then the two of us are back Friday night for more 11.15 Eastern, live for all patrons. We'll chat SmackDown, we'll chat Rampage, and God willing, Brandon won't get arrested and he'll call in. All right, goodbye.